happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Be happy, happy, happy. She's gonna be happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. We're happy, happy, happy. Everybody happy, happy, happy. If you've seen the hit reality show Duck Dynasty, then you know what millions already do. I'm fixing to go crazy, redneck, up in here. While times are good now for the Robertson clan, life wasn't always happy. Happy, happy, happy. Phil and Miss Kay married young. Life was tough in those early days, not just because they were poor. He wasn't just away from the Lord. He was just horribly away. And so he did a bunch of horrible things that were just terrible. And, you know, for my mom to stick with him through all that was incredible. When Doug Dynasty first aired in 2012, producers wanted to tone down the family's faith. Miss Kay, listen to this. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 about marriage. But that's exactly what the audience wanted. The season three finale broke an A&E channel record with 9.6 million viewers. Well, they can't surf, but they may be duck hunters. What do you think? What is it that has America kind of in uh, uproar about <laughs> Duck Dynasty? I mean, I went in Walmart the other day, and it was just like it was the duck place. <laughs> They're like the Beverly Hillbillies of old. How many remember the Beverly Hillbillies? But there's something a little bit different. I think it's because they're so attractive in America today is because they do such a good job at family and relationships. Let me say it again. They make family and relationships work. Uh, you, you look at those guys, they're sitting around at the dinner table at the end of the show. I mean, they're together, they're praying, uh, they bump heads during the day, but they don't divorce, they don't quit, they don't shoot each other. I mean, they, they get along. When it's prime time, dad gets involved in picking daughter's dress. I mean, when it's time to, to adjust the kids and teach, teach them a work ethic, grandpa takes them out, to the, out to, the, uh, to the woods to clear an area. There's something about family and relationships. And I want to use that as a launching place for this new series called Happy, Happy, Happy. And it's a guide to having healthy relationships. And what we're going to learn is we're going to learn from the Bible what the Bible has to say about relationships that matter to us. This is going to help you. I promise you, it's going to help you in your marriage. It'll help you in, with your friends, and it'll help you with your enemies. It'll help people you want to, uh, that you want to spend the rest of your life with, but it'll also help you with a stranger that you'll never see again. And uh, as we talk about this series, there's one of my favorites. Uh, it's Uncle Cy, and I happen to have a picture of him with my daughter, Rebecca. It's not a Photoshop picture. It's a real picture. She went to San Antonio uh, a few weeks ago, and she sends me this picture. And like the good dad that I am, I looked at it a minute or two, texted her back and said, Honey, I want you to see if you can marry him because dad needs a place to duck hunt and I know they've got good places. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure what it meant when she said, Oh, dad, but uh, I have an idea. Little did I know that I'm not the only one that was thinking about marriage to Cy. He did an interview with the Christian Post, which, by the way, is an excellent news source. If you want a good news source to be able to read uh, on your phone on the Internet, christianpost.com.org. Uh, it's a Christian site, but uh, it's great. Anyway, uh, Christian Post did an interview, and here's what he said. He said, I was at an event in Arkansas, and a woman walked up, and I was waiting for her to hand me something to sign, a T-shirt, hat, or whatever. And she said, well, I'm ready. I said, ready for what? And she said, ready to marry you. I drove 450 miles here just to marry you. I told her, man, we've got a slight problem here, lady. She said, what's that? He said, I'm already married. 
and my wife probably wouldn't like me marrying you. And she said, you mean I drove 450 miles for nothing? He said, no. He said, there's a T-shirt you got hanging on your shoulder. She said, yeah. He said, well, I'll sign it for you, darling, but that's the best I can do now. <laughs> so anyway, I don't have a duck spot anymore, and she didn't get to marry him, but we've got the basis of a series I think that's going to help you. And my first message today is I, I, I can guarantee you it is the greatest relational principle in the world. And I don't say that just tritely or, or, or unarguably, but it is called the golden rule. It's something that Jesus taught us about how to treat other people, that if you will apply this in your life, I promise you it'll make a big difference. So let's peek at it today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. It's the words of Jesus, and Jesus comes to us in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you would find the greatest ethical teaching that the planet has ever heard. It's from Jesus, His most powerful sermon. And towards the end of it, He says this. He said, Do to others what you want them to do to you. Can you say that with me? Do to others what you want them to do to you. And then He says this. He said, This is the meaning of the law of Moses and the teaching of the prophets. Now, that's big. We'll come back to that. But let me show you a little picture here about the golden rule, what it does not mean. You see the king there standing on his balcony, and he says, remember the golden rule. And, of course, the, the people ask, what's that? And he said, whoever has the gold makes the rules. Well, that might be a truism in the world, but that is not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus basically was talking about is he said, treat people the way you want them to treat you. Let me say that again. Treat people the way you want them to treat you. Whether they're your spouse, whether they're your kin, whether they're an enemy, whoever it is, Jesus said, treat people the way that you want to be treated. And then he said a, 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 a phrase that got to get our attention. If you hold your Bible in your hand, two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament. And Jesus said, this commandment summarizes the Old Testament. He said, this summarizes the law of Moses and the prophets. And it's simply a way of saying, if you want to simplify the Bible and find its application in your life, if you will just begin to treat people the way that you want to be treated, you will literally be loving them as God loves them. So that's the great principle that Jesus uh, gave us. So it simply means something like this. Let's say it's, um, let's say it's uh, middle of the day. Uh, you're hungry, you're wanting to go uh, to uh, Chick-fil-A right on Richmond Road. The only problem is there's so much traffic you can't get in. So you're in the turning lane and you're waiting for somebody to what? Let you in. So what would the golden rule suggest that we do? If we want somebody to let us in, what should we do? We should let them in. So the next time we're on Richmond Road, rather than, you know, pretending like we're doing NASCAR... And people want to get in. Uh, listen, uh, we can be some unfriendly folks behind the wheel here. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? And it's almost like you do it to me and I'll do it to you. Look, Jack, I'm in a hurry. How about if you're in the grocery store? Let's say you're in a bit, bit of a rush. Uh, there's no bag boys there. So you've got like four bags in each hand. You didn't get a cart and you're walking out to your car and all of a sudden two or three of the bags, the bottom falls out and you've got groceries all over the floor. What do you want someone to do for you? Oh, and you've got, you've got a little two-year-old walking next to you too. What do you want somebody to do? You want, that's right, you want somebody to come up with a cart. You want somebody to come up with some bags and help you. And Jesus said, if that's what you'd like to do to somebody, for somebody to do to you, then if you see someone with groceries spilled on the floor, Jesus said, I want you to do the same thing for them. Yeah. If America would just get a hold of this 
And don't expect it to come to us on CNN or Fox or anywhere like that. If the church, come on, if believing people that read our Bibles would begin to treat that, treat people that way, our families would be stronger. Come on, our workplaces would be a better place. Uh, wherever we go, the ball teams that we coach, the, the cheerleading squad that we're on, everything would be better because we're putting in this great relational principle. We're, teaching, we're treating people the way that we want to be, pre, uh, be treated. This idea is not a, a new idea. The Jewish rabbi Hillel, born a hundred years before Christ, gave us the negative form of the golden rule called the silver rule. Anyone ever heard of the silver rule? Well, it basically says this. He said that one should not treat others in ways that you would not like to be treated. In other words, if, if you don't want people to just continue to ignore you as you're ready to turn in Chick-fil-A, then you shouldn't do that either. See, so it's just kind of the negative part of it. But the golden rule is literally taught in virtually every religion mankind knows, somewhere in their religion. But yet you can trace it back to God's words to Moses in the book of Leviticus when God told Moses to tell the people to love their neighbor, to love other human beings as you love yourself. So listen, the Bible is the root of this, and we're going to explore it together today. And I promise you, it will help you in your family. It will help you on your job it will help you deal with stress in life as you're driving and just whatever it may be. But if you will begin to treat people the way you want to be treated, there's no more profound relational principle than this. Let's begin this morning. What I want to do is I want to look at four different things, that different aspects of our life. Two having to do with personal integrity, two having to do with what happens when we make mistakes. But things that are very common to us, very practical. We'll look at four this morning, and Lord willing, next week we'll look at four or five more as we'll do part two on the golden rule. But how do I want people to treat me? That's the question. And here's the first one. I want you to keep your word. Now, for me, this is the number one relational principle, that if you make a promise to me, come on, I want you to keep it. If you tell me you're going to do something, I want you to do it. And I'm telling you, friend, if you want to have connectedness, particularly with people that you value, it's right here. Now, Psalm 15, we're going to look at it twice, but I want you to listen to the words of this psalm because in Psalm 15, we're asked a profound question, or actually rather a, a statement and a question. But the question is, who may enter God's presence on His holy hill? In other words, who may be an intimate worshiper of God? Who is it that God would allow to be close to Him? And I want you to listen to some of the things that are mentioned. What it says is in verse 4 is those who, say it with me, keep their promises. Those who keep their promises even when it hurts. The Message Bible says keep your word even when it costs you. Now, and then it makes another big statement. It says such people will stand firm forever. Such people will stand firm forever. Now, we all expect people to keep their word to us. How about, let's say, for example, we go and buy a used car. And we go on the lot, we talk to the salesman, and he said, well, we're, just, we're really not quite sure. Uh, it looks good, but, uh, but I, I just don't know. And the salesman, trying to reel you in, says, okay, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just take it today, let's do the paperwork, drive it for a week, and if you don't like it, bring it back, and, and, and we'll get you another one. Well, let's say on day six you show up because you've driven that car and you didn't notice before that it's got a wiggle to it and you didn't notice before that the gas mileage gets nine miles to the gallon. It looked cool, but he forgot to tell you that. And all of a sudden you really, you know, this is not a good deal. And on day six, you go back expecting him to take it back and you go say, hey, I want to give you the car back. Here's the keys. And he says, 
<laughs> he said, I didn't mean that. I just wanted to sell you a car. Get out of here, lady. What do you want to do? Come on, pull out your pistol out of your pocket. Don't do that. <laughs> you expect him to what? Keep his word. Keep his word. How about if the boss uh, comes up to you and, and you do a, you've been doing exceptional work, sales are up, and he says, I'm going to give you a raise. You open up your paycheck the next time. What do you expect? More money. And if it's not there, what happens? You get upset. How about, how about marriage vows? Marriage vows are not just a part of a service, but you stand before God and people and you say, for the rest of my life, here's what I'm going to do. And what happens is both of you believe the words of the other person. See, here's the deal. When you keep your word, what you do is you build trust in a relationship. Trust is like super glue between people. If you keep your word, then I can believe you the next time you tell me something. And if I believe you, I trust you. But if you don't keep your word, I can't trust you. And if I don't trust you, I don't have a relationship with you. What happens to the little boy? Let's say he's nine years old and, and he's got a game tonight, a baseball game. And Daddy says, I'm coming to your game tonight. Oh, no, he says at breakfast, Daddy, are you coming to my game? Oh, yes, son, I'll be there. And he shows up. The little boy's there first time at bat. What does he do? He looks at the picture. And what does he do? He looks in the stands. And he's looking for Daddy. That's one thing if dad sends him a little picture because you know he's looking on his cell phone, texting between innings. You send him a picture of traffic in front of you and said, honey, daddy's stuck in Dallas and I just can't make it because of the cars. Please forgive me. It's another thing if daddy stayed home and watched the cowboys on television. You understand what I'm talking about? You see, keeping your word affects our relationships with people. It makes a difference that we do what we say that we'll do because then people can trust us. How about, how about when the government told us that our health care was going to go down when we adopted a, a socialist form of government more so, when we had socialized medicine? Supposed to go down. But yet when you read across America today, it's not even implemented. But policies are going up 100%, 40%, 50%. just came out a couple days ago and said, hey, look, we've got 110,000 110,000 retirees, but we're not going to be able to provide you health insurance anymore. We're going to give you a stipend so you can buy something on the government exchange. So IBM didn't keep its word, and now the other folks are not keeping their word. You remember when Sarah Palin and others said, look, are you going to let the government form death panels to say who lives and who dies? And as Americans, we thought, and everyone defended it, that's not true. But my own daughter came up to me this week, and she said, my coach is real upset. My coach's mom died. And I said, well, honey, I understand, you know, people die. She, you know, she's not mad about that. She's mad because they wouldn't give her the medicine because they said she was too old. They wouldn't pay for it. So what does it do? It makes you mad, makes me want to sign the petition, defund it or whatever it is, makes me want to call my congressman, but it also makes me not trust more. See, when you break your word to me, what happens the next time something comes up, I don't know if I can trust you the next time. And before you know it, it's just words, and our relationship has been shattered. Keeping your word is the foundation. It's a, it's a cornerstone. You remember, uh, remember the movie Karate Kid? You know, you remember Mr. Miyagi and, and, you know, and Daniel's son? And, of course, Daniel, you know, he moves to California, and, 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 and big problems. These kids are beating him up, and, you know, Mr. Miyagi hops over the fence, and he defends him. And, and the next day, Daniel said, will you teach me karate? And Mr. Miyagi says, Miyagi, teach. So... <laughs> Daniel son goes the next day thinking he's going to learn, you know, how to do that and how to, you know, back and all that stuff. And Miyagi gives him, a, gives him two sanders, and he said, uh, sand the floor. 
And Daniel, no, 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 no. He sand the floor, sand the floor. And he goes all the walk, and he's, you know, sand the floor, getting blisters. And the next day, Daniel's son comes back, and he's thinking, okay, today, yeah, yeah. paint the fence. No, 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 paint the fence. Well, this goes on about three or four days, and then Miyagi comes back with some more paint, and Daniel said, I'm not going to do that for you. You forget it, old man. You took advantage of me. What did he think? He thought, this man didn't keep his word to me. He has not taught me karate. And then Miyagi said, Daniel-san. He comes back, and he said, show me, sand the floor. And he punches at him, and he punches him away. And he says, show me, paint the fence. And he punches him away again. And then the kid realized that this man did keep his word. I just didn't understand it. But this kid was ready to do that because he thought somebody didn't keep their word. And here's what Jesus said. If you want people to keep their word to you, you keep your word to them. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It's that simple. Now, Psalms 15, here's the second one, and this is regarding our integrity. I want you to tell the truth. I want not only that you keep your word and do what you said, I want you to be truthful. Don't lie to me. Don't exaggerate to me. Don't make things up. Now listen, don't try to deceive me. Don't try to manipulate me in our relationship because I resent it. Again, back to the Psalms. You remember Psalm 15, who's going to enter into God's presence? Listen to what the Lord said. Who may enter your presence on your holy hill, but those who lead blameless lives and do what is right. What's it say? Speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Now, that doesn't mean if I think you're ugly, I tell you you're ugly, okay? You understand what I'm talking about. But, but how do you feel when somebody lies to you? How do you feel when somebody lies? For example, let's say your your teenage girl. She's 15. Mom, Mom, can I go over to Darcy's house tonight? What are y'all going to do? We're going to watch some movies. What time are you going to be home? Uh, 10 o'clock. Okay. And Darcy, Darcy's mom's, Darcy's mom's going to bring me home. And you're a good mom. You say, okay, you can go. How do you feel if about 9.30 you get a call from the sheriff's office in Bossier City? Mom, Mom, Darcy wanted to go to the casino and it was a buffet. And, and, and I, 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 what do you think is going to happen the next day when, Mom, I want to... No. Good for you, Mom. Why? Because you didn't tell the truth. See, telling the truth. How about a young couple, young married couple? They're in their, you know, their late 20s, and, you know, they, he's buff. I mean, you know, he wears an extra small T-shirt. I mean, muscles are just hanging out everywhere. And uh, he goes to the gym. And, uh, you know, she goes but doesn't like it as much. But uh, he says, uh, leaves that morning and says, well, I'm going, I'm going to the gym today. Uh, when you going? Over lunch. And she, by 11 o'clock, she said, I'd just like to see my man. So she stops by and gets a smoothie with double protein, and she goes by, and she said, uh, where's Bob? Uh, he's not signed in today. Oh. And she walks around, and she waits around, and finally she drinks her, his smoothie. Well, Bob comes home that afternoon. She said, how was your day, honey? Great. How was the workout? Oh, it was great. He may not be driven from the house, but let's just say he won't be sleeping in the bed with her that evening. He may be on the couch. Because here's his choice. 
You're going to fess up and you're going to tell the truth. And you're going to say, oh, well, there's reason that I wasn't there when you came by at lunchtime. Uh, you see, I had a late lunch today, and, and I, I got my workout after lunch. See, when you start lying to me, you have to keep lying to me. And when there's a pattern of deception, once again, it undermines trust. And truthfulness is at the heart of any relationship. See, if you don't tell the truth, I can't believe you. If I can't believe you, I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, I don't have a relationship with you. Proverbs 12 says this. It says, a truthful witness by a good person clears the air, but, say it, liars. Liars lay down a smoke screen of deceit. Scripture goes on to say, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tells the truth. It's the basis of relationship. Remember the movie Taken? Every young lady should see that before you go anywhere. In that movie, this young 17-year-old felt that she and mom felt that they had to lie to dad because dad wouldn't let them do it. So lie to dad, so they go, and they, she's going to Europe, and she said, Daddy, I'd love to go to Paris, and I'm going to stay with so-and-so's cousin. We're going to go to museums and museums and museums. When she's lying out her teeth, when she wants to follow some rock band around Europe. So she goes, but then you know the story. I mean, look, if you get abducted and they were captured, you know, she was abducted to the airport, they're going to turn her into a prostitute. I mean, no, you need a God, uh, you need a dad like, you know, what's his name, Liam something. You need a dad like that if you get in trouble like that. Well, anyway, the little story, he goes around and he goes up the evil food chain till he finds where she is. And uh, lo and behold, he's in the ship, you know, with the Saudi prince. And, you know, of course, that guy gets to go to Saudi heaven or wherever. Uh, <laughs> And she's sitting there, and she said, Daddy, you came for me. Remember what he said? I told you I would. I told you I would. When you're deceptive, it shatters relationships. When you tell the truth, come on, it brings them together. Give the Lord a good hand today. It makes a difference. So if you want people to be truthful with you, what would the golden rule suggest? Be truthful with them. Okay, here's the third one. Now let's shift a little bit to when we make mistakes. When we make mistakes, and, and, and here's the way I, I phrase it. I want you to tell me before I make a big mistake. Tell me before I lose a lot of money on a bad investment. Tell me before I marry the wrong person. And, and hear this, don't be afraid to confront me. If I'm talking about dropping out of high school, I want you to talk me out of it. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm starting to run with a crowd that does drugs, you know, smoking, drinking, I, I want you to talk to me. If I'm with, if I'm, uh, for example, driving and it's early, you know, and, and I can see well enough to drive but people can't see me, I want you to flash your headlights at me. See, the golden rule is not just to people that you know, but it's to people that you don't know. Now, I want you to imagine that I'm 15 years of age and it's the first day of school. And before classes, I go in the bathroom, I do my business, and I go up to the sink, and I look in the mirror, and I wash my hands, and I think, oh, you look good. <laughs> I put on my lipstick. <laughs> you know, whatever girls do, and I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm fine. And I stand back, and I gaze at myself, and I say, honey, honey, honey. And I step out the door. And when I step out of the bathroom, the halls are filled with kids, and everybody looks at me. but they see what I don't see. Now, what would you want somebody to do if you're walking down the hall with 10 feet of toilet paper dragging behind you? 
I'm wanting you to tell me. I'm wanting some girl to grab me and say, Sister, get back in there. Or do you want somebody to take a picture on you to put on Facebook? Now, I know you've never thought about putting somebody's picture on Facebook with a toilet paper tail, but I'm telling you, when you're in the situation, if you could just pause to think just a second, what would I want somebody to do for me? I'm telling you, friends, something can happen. That girl, she's going to be your best girlfriend the rest of your life if she pulled you back in that bathroom before you went out. See, but if you don't, she'll be an enemy the rest of your high school days. Treat people. Let's keep going here. Now, here's a, here's a scripture. It's a proverb. So, if I've got toilet paper hanging out of my pants, I would want somebody to tell me, so then you tell them, Jack. You know, I want you to be, help me before I mess up. Proverbs 27, 6, it says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, what does that mean? That means... You know, if people that really don't care about me, you know, they'll just kind of pat me on the back and say, you're good and you're cool and all those things. But a person that really cares about me will love me enough to tell me the truth. A person that really cares about me, even if it's a difficult thing or a hard thing, will talk to me about it and tell me before I mess up rather than after. Remember the movie, The Family Man, Nicolas Cage, kind of a time travel kind of deal where he goes in and he's in this family situation and uh, what his life could have been. Well, anyway, he's uh, just kind of going through life there, cocky and arrogant as he can be, and uh, there's this girl in the red dress and she's hitting on him. And he tells one of his best buddies, he said, she wants to have an affair with me. She wants me bad. And his friend, rather than saying, you the man, go for it, his friend said, you're about to mess up the most important thing in your life. The best thing you got going. You're about to destroy it, stupid. What comes to mind? Faithful are the wounds. Now listen, if you're about to do something stupid, don't you want somebody to come up and tell you? I don't care if it's dropping out of high school. I don't care if you're starting to drink too much. I don't care if you're starting to run with the wrong crowd. Your grades are going down, whatever. Or you're starting to fudge on expense reports. You're starting to lie about something and you're getting away with it. I'm telling you, somebody, if they care about you, will get involved in your life. And they'll say, hold up. Stop what you're doing because it's going to destroy your life. I want you to do that to me. I hope if you saw me drifting, I hope if I stopped reading my Bible and stopped praying, come on. I hope if I started taking second looks at somebody other than my wife, I hope if I started pulling away from my wife, I hope somebody would care enough to pull me aside, come on, and tell me that I got toilet paper hanging out of my pants. Are you with me today? Listen, treat other people you, the way you want to be treated, and you just well may have someone do that for you, come on, when you get in the same mode. Give the Lord another good hand today. Let, let me give you one last one now. Mind you, we're talking about mistakes, and, and how many... We don't want to come across to people in a condescending way. If I'm going to talk to you about something personal in your life, I'm not your ultimate judge. I'm not coming at you like this. I'm not condescending. I'm not self-righteous. But I'm coming to you, come on, because I care about you. Now think about this. You remember the Old Testament, Noah? No. Now how in the world could the, a man that was found to be the only righteous man on the whole planet that God saved him? Come on, through the great flood. You know the story, Noah's Ark. 
How is it that when life began to get back to normal and grapes began to grow, this guy's in a cave, drunk as a skunk with no clothes on? It's in the Bible. Now, he had three kids at the time, and the Bible says the first child, and it didn't tell us exactly what he did, but somehow he was judged for his behavior. I suggest he did something like this. He went in the cave, there's drunk daddy, and he said, hey, you want to see something funny? <laughs> Our old man is in there, he didn't have a stitch of clothes on, he's a drunk, he can't get up. But the other two kids, you read it, the Bible says they took a blanket or they took a covering. They walked in backwards, and they covered up dad's nakedness. I mean, there's a difference between a cover-up and covering somebody. But rather than trying to expose and belittle, what they did is they covered another person's weakness. Because how many know we've all got them? And I want to use that to flow into my last point this morning. Not only do I want you to help me, after I mess, uh, help me before I mess up, I want you to help me after I mess up. Now, I want you to listen to this one this morning. I want you to help me after I mess up. I need help to fix my life. I need help to fix my life. Some of us may have no clue, once we do a big stupid, how to get back on board. Let me tell you something. The family in America is in much disrepair. If you look at families in America today, there's going to be a lot of families that will come together on Thanksgiving. It'll be the most dreaded day of life because we don't know how to get along. We've never seen what a healthy family looks like. Uh, you know, if we ever had a dinner together, it, it was with some paper plates and watching the television. We don't know what normal is. Dads are trying to raise kids, and they don't know how to raise them because they never had a dad. You know, uh, girls are trying to be a mommy, and, and they don't know how to be a mommy. All they know is what they saw on some stupid television. Come on. We don't know how to honor people of age because all my, adult, all my life... When I've seen a, a father or a dad depicted on television, it's been in a very derogatory, stupid way. Dad is the stupidest person on the program. Mom's the smartest, and the kids are always smarter than dad. I mean, that just tends to be the way. You don't see a lot of healthy. And if it's healthy, it's called square and abnormal. But yet brokenness just follows everything we do. Years ago, I read, read, read the remarks of an MTV producer. He wouldn't let his own children watch the shows. But he'd want your kids to watch them. So the world around us is broken. People, listen, people go from job to job to job to job to job because dad never taught them to work. Because nobody taught them to keep their word. Because nobody taught them that life is not always fun and life is not always easy. So they don't know. And, and, and what our government does, our government makes us victims and it pits us against one another. Come on now. It pits groups against men against women and black against white and old against young. It's out there because that's the way power perpetuates itself. And the handouts, come on, are not hands up. And it gets worse and worse and worse over generations. So before you know it, you show up and you don't even know who the baby belongs to and the baby doesn't even know, doesn't even know what to call. If you're living in that, I'm not trying to be mean or ugly to you today. I'm just trying to say the world is messed up. And when we're, we've fallen down, we need somebody to help us get up because we don't know how to get up. I, you didn't fail the test because you wanted to. You failed the test because you didn't know the answers or didn't know how to study. Come on. People, we all, we all strike out in life. You, you, you don't go up to the plate thinking that I can't wait for the third strike to miss so I can go back to the dugout. But we strike out. We mess up, we get divorced, we get fired, we go to jail, we have a felony record. 
We have some issues in our life when we come to church and are so scared that if somebody else found out about me, what I did, that I wouldn't be welcome there. And, and not only do they not know what to do, we as a church family don't know what to do. It's like brokenness is all around us. And I'm telling you, friends, if your life is broken, what do you want? You want somebody in a, in, in, in a helpful, encouraging way to take you by the hand and say, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to live life. Let me show you how to have a good family. Let me show you how to raise your children. Let me show you, man, if you want your wife to give you the honor and respect that the Bible teaches and you desperately need, let me show you how you need to love her as Christ loved the church. Forget the movies that you watch and the macho man on TV. Let me show you the right way, come on, that you're supposed to live life. She didn't marry you because of your... Well, she might have, but she probably didn't marry you just because of your physique. But that's all that's out in front of us. So if I'm broken... I want somebody to help me put my life together. So how much more should I do the same thing, come on, for people that I encounter in life that are broken? I might not can help all of America, but I can help one person. I can if I'm invited to a wedding and there he is. You know, they've been living together for several years and they finally decided to get married. She's pregnant. They have about this much chance of making it. How about if I help that couple? How about if I just get involved in their life and love them, come on, and care about them because that's what I'd want somebody to do for me if I was in the same position. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Well, let me read you a couple of scriptures and we'll wrap this up. That's kind of big picture, but how about spiritually, if I mess up spiritually? Two scriptures, James 5, 19. If one of you should wander from the truth, and what's this say? Someone should bring that person back. Notice, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Galatians 6.1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should do what? Gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Because when you do that, you share each other's burdens, and in this way, we obey the law of Christ. Now, what do I mean by this? If you are spiritually beginning to go downhill, if you're spiritually beginning to slip, if you find yourself starting to cuss again, starting to do drugs again, or whatever, or starting to, you know, you're thinking about breaking your marriage vows, whatever, if you're starting to drift, and somebody that you know sees that, how many know you need a brother to help get you back on track? You need a sister to say, listen, God still, I know, but you don't know what I've done. God knows what you've done, and your heavenly Father can forgive you. Listen, dummy, don't you, think, don't you think God knew this before he saved you in the first place? Let go of that, because that's not where you're going to find happiness. Your happiness is going to find serving the Lord. And it's like when you hear that, it's like a fresh slap on the face. And that's what the Bible says, because if I was spiritually falling, I hope you do that for me. So how many know if we want to be treated that way, how many know we need to treat other people that way? Amen? Well, listen, well, I'm going to wrap this up this morning. But this is part one, the golden rule. Next week we'll do part two, and uh, I, I, hope you'll, uh, I hope you got something from this today. Mark chapter 12, let me, let me conclude with this. Next week we'll look at some other practical things. How many know the Bible always works when you apply it? It's not just enough to think about it but we put it into practice. Mark 12, 28, and here's something that I want you to see, kind of big picture. I've taught you thus far this morning that if you want people to treat you right, what do you do? Treat them right. Treat them right. But there's something bigger here, just like giving. How many know we don't give so God will give something to us? 
We give because God's worthy. We give to honor God, to obey God. And God in return honors or blesses us back. So I'm not going to treat you right just so you'll treat me back right. I'm going to do it because there's a bigger picture here. Listen to what Jesus said. Now Jesus was asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? If you're like me, the Bible sometimes is a complicated book. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Jesus summarized this whole book with two commandments. Listen to what he said. He said the most important one is this. You must love the Lord your God, say it with me, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And usually we stop there because for most of us, if you're like me, the world is pretty much about me. But then he said this. He said, the second is equally important. And here's what he said. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. So the God in heaven, when he looks down at me, he said, you want to live this thing called the Christian life? Love your neighbor. If you want to say, how do I love my neighbor, pastor? Look at me now. Live the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. You see, and as you do that as a mature Christian, that's the way that you love people. Guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to be happy, happy, happy. Because you're going to practice sowing and reaping. And as you sow into their lives, listen, as you tell people the truth, they'll probably begin to tell you the truth back. As you keep your word, you'll have a circle of people keeping their word to you. Listen, as you try to help people before they mess up, they'll likely help you. And when, when they're down on the ground and you pick them up, you're more than likely going to have a friend that will pick you up because you reap what you sow in life. Come on. God is a good God, and He's worthy of our praise. Give Him a big hand this morning. Jesus Christ is worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're going to sing a song. And let me ask you to do this. Take just three or four more minutes before you turn off. Because here's what happens many, many times. We go to church, and let's say you're at the restaurant, and you meet your folks or your friends there, and they say, how was church? And they say, oh, it's great, it's great. What, what, what did the preacher talk about? Uh, uh, well, well, well he, 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 that Duck Dynasty thing, uh, we had that. Uh-huh, we're happy, happy, happy. Uh, and, and, and he wore some toilet paper on the stage. Because we're so inundated with information and ideas. But I guarantee you there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to add to your life today. You just know it. I just know that there's something very practical and personal in your life that the Holy Spirit wants to make a part of your life. And this is the time where you can say, Lord, do that. Do that. This is the time where the Holy Spirit, like if you're building a bathroom and the framer comes in and he starts to put up boards, this is where the Holy Spirit can make place in your life. This is a place right now in this moment of prayer where you can say, God, forgive me for the way I've been treating people. This is a place when I mentioned relationships that were broken in Thanksgiving, you tensed up on the inside. This is a place where you can say, Holy Spirit, show me how to treat them the way I want to be treated. Let's just sing this song one time and ask God to spend just a moment with us.